so forth. And, you know, God's all the, the different uh, various times we get together. Also on the foyer, we have a list of our different home groups and things. It's not in the bulletin. So if you're interested in getting plugged into one of those, check that out there uh, in, the, in the foyer. And then also remember your prayer request uh, there in your bulletin. If there's something you'd like to get on the prayer chain or have the pastors be praying for, you can put that in the boxes by the doors as well as if this is your home church, your offerings and tithes can go over there as well. So let's get into the word here. Psalm 44, uh, titled the message, Cleaving to God in the Midst of Hardship. And really as we come to this psalm, we're going to see there's really four sections of it that kind of build uh, on each other. In Psalm 1 through 8, we're going to see the psalmist starting by giving praise to God, recounting God's faithfulness and God's goodness. From there, in verses 19 through 16, we're going to see the psalmist bringing his burden before the Lord, bringing the burden of the nation of Israel before the Lord. In verse 17 through 22, we're going to see the psalmist rejoicing in God's remembrance of them despite the trial that they're in and absolutely uh, reconfirming his commitment to follow after the Lord and to make that proclamation that despite all this, our eyes are upon you. And then finally, he closes the psalm crying out to God to, to rise up on their behalf and to bring a redemption and so forth. So, so much for us to glean from this. I don't want to spend any more time setting it up. I want to read the first eight verses and then dive right into this. It says, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days and days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance because you favored them. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Therefore, you, uh, through you, we will push down our enemies. Through your name, we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me, but you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Now notice how this psalm starts. We get insight and information to who wrote the psalm. It says here, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Now contemplation is a thought. It is a meditation. And we got to understand the difference between biblical contemplation and meditation and what's called contemplation and meditation by so many today. Contemplation is absolutely a meditation. Biblically, it is thinking on the Lord. It is meditating on the Word of God. We're called to be a people that take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We're called to worship the Lord with our heart, our strength, our mind, our soul absolutely to be active in our relationship with God with our mind with what we're thinking on meditating on scripture the greatness of God and so forth taking again every thought captive to what the scriptures say and it's important we know that because there's been a redefinition in the west of what contemplation and meditation is they've taken on the eastern definition of this that does not line up with the scripture nor is it a biblical call a call to contemplative prayer or meditative prayer where one empties their mind and maybe takes a word and begins to repeat it over and over and over again like a mantra. It's a picture of Buddhism or Hinduism and it really crept into Christianity in the 4th century. And you say, well, what happened to the 4th century that is still around in the 21st century? In the 4th century, there were certain monks that went out to be by themselves and to escape the world unbiblically to basically live their lives out in exile and they met up with different eastern uh, partitioners of eastern religions and they taught them what they were doing this meditative state where they would go and they thought they were meeting with god on a higher plane basically getting the same experience that you're going to get if you drop acid or if you want to smoke dope or if you want to you know what uh, participate in that pharmacia same thing, just a different way of entering into that mystical state. Well, these guys, you know, it went through that and the experience was so profound, they begin to blend that into Christianity. Next thing you know, the Roman Catholic Church is practicing contemplative prayer. And unfortunately, now we're in the day where this stuff's spreading into much and most of Christianity, but it's not biblical. 
God's called us to use our mind. God's called us to take every thought captive again according to the scriptures. But if we want to cross those lines just because so-and-so is teaching it, even though it's unbiblical, listen, the Bible talks about different borders that God puts up. The ancient paths of the scripture versus other paths that are not biblical. And if we want to cross them and we want to practice those things, and some people say, well, God will protect me as I you know, as I go into this, I won't be influenced by the demonic because I'm sincere. Well, you can sincerely smoke, you know, some chronic and you're still going to have an experience. God's called us not to participate in that. It's going to be the same thing with the latter. And so as he talks about a contemplation, this is a thought. This is a meditation upon God. And from that, the Holy Spirit moved on the sons of Korah to bring forth this praise, to bring forth this prayer, this worship, this psalm to Almighty God. Notice as well, again, the sons of Korah. The first place we hear about, you know what, Korah as an individual is in the book of Numbers. And I'm really excited because in a few weeks we're going to start Numbers on Wednesday night. And I know right at the bat people go, oh, Numbers, it sounds like just a bunch of genealogy and counting. That sounds boring. Now the first 10 chapters or so are a bunch of genealogy. And we'll probably go through that pretty quickly. We'll just hit some highlights. That has a great purpose though because it tracks Adam all the way to Jesus Christ and it shows that indeed God knows the end from the beginning and God's prophetic word is yes and amen and it is true but boy numbers as it begins to unfold it is packed full of incredible accounts of the hand of God and spiritual warfare and so forth and so many things we can glean from there's a lot of things in the book of numbers you may not even know they're in the book of numbers because again oh numbers that's one of those books that we kind of skip over no we're gonna we're gonna dive right into that puppy and we're gonna get blessed by it i guarantee you but in numbers chapter 16 this individual by the name of korah who was a levite who was in part in charge for the breaking down of the tabernacle and setting it up when the lord would move the children of israel around he began to get jealous in his heart against moses and aaron whom God had appointed, along with Miriam, to lead the children of Israel. And he began to say, hey, who made you the head of all this? I should be heading this up, and so forth. And we see that as he began to spread this complaint and began to spread this rebellion, and ultimately it wasn't against Moses, it was against God, that he began to accumulate other individuals who were like-minded to the point where it says there were 250, 250 of these men, and it seems all of them were in some place of leadership that had a blessed role by the lord they began to rebel against moses well you know what moses basically told them you need to you need to slow down you need to rejoice in what god has called you to and serve him they didn't want that and so it came down to basically a challenge when moses says well why don't you bring fire in your censers tomorrow and we'll bring them before the lord and see who god has called you know and who god hasn't called to to head this up and absolutely we know how the account unfolded they brought a strange fire moses brought fire from the altar and what unfolded is is just uh you know it should be something that really puts a fear of god in our heart because what we read beforehand moses basically told the people listen i'm going to encourage you to step away from these guys and many did but others did it and as this fire was brought before the lord we see that the earth literally opened up and swallowed these guys and then it closed back over them i mean this is something like out of a science fiction movie or something but it actually happened i mean can you imagine being there seeing the earth open up and these individuals being swallowed up the most amazing thing to me though in all of it is that the next day uh, some of those individuals who did have the foresight to step away from korah they brought a complaint against Moses and blamed Moses that the earth opened up and swallowed those guys because there were some good people amongst them. And you're like, oh my goodness, Lord, we need your help so badly, right? How quickly we forget. But you know what was wonderful? It was horrible what Korah did, but it was glorious because we're reading about the sons of Korah. And you think if you don't know anybody, you think, man, Korah must have been this, this awesome believer and follower of God. He wasn't. He was an incredibly prideful man and a and, and, and rebellious even despite all that god had done through moses how could you not recognize that god had called moses to lead israel he led him out of bondage he led him through the red sea he brought him to waters and they were bitter he'd pray to god and god said throw a tree and there will become sweet i mean the evidence he didn't need a letter of commendation they were his letter the fruit of the ministry was that letter and yet again the rebel rose up but what's awesome is that 
there were some of Korah's sons that said, listen, we got to choose. Are we going to follow our earthly father? Are we going to follow our heavenly father? Boy, that's a tough place to be in, isn't it? Are we going to follow our family? Are we going to follow God who gave family? Who are we going to follow? Well, there's a lot of compromise when it comes to that. There's a lot of people that will say, well, I'll follow God up to the point where my family is in agreement, And hopefully the whole family is following the Lord and you follow them together. But there are times when they say, hey, if you're going to follow the Lord, you're, you're, you're going to be out with me. And these sons said, it doesn't matter what our heavenly father or our earthly father is saying, we need to follow our heavenly father. And they stepped away from that. And now we read, and a lot of times past, descendants of Korah, and this is in the day of David, they have become ministers of music in the tabernacle. We read about them in 1 Chronicles chapter 6. And there's a wonderful thing for us here to rejoice in, in that we hear a lot about generational curses. A lot of people talk about that. I think it's like the, you know, that, that inner Gnostic that wants to come out all of us because, oh, you know, generational curses, people got all mystical and all, you know, and, you know, how many witches do you have in your past and so forth. And listen, some of that stuff's legitimate and true. And there's generational curses that it's an inheritance of what you learn from your mother and father and perhaps their rebellion. There's also a spiritual side of it. But sometimes, listen, we give that too much weight because we have a God who came to break generational curses. We have a God that wants to bestow generational blessings. And Korah, listen, this guy walked in a curse and if the earth opens up and swallows you, yeah, you know, that doesn't sound like a blessing. Uh, And yet these sons said, we're not going to follow after that. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna follow the Lord. We're going to acknowledge the Lord. And what's beautiful is that their sons then were obviously, and we'll see here in the psalm, they were raised in the way of the Lord. And so were their sons, and so were their sons. And a generational curse all of a sudden became a generational blessing. And maybe you're in a place where, listen, you have been raised in the Lord. You haven't been raised, you know, in a home that honors God. And the enemy will come along and say, well, you know what? And a lot of people... Uh, you know what they, they've made a lot of bank off of this whole idea that boy you're, it's going to be harder for you than everybody else listen where sin aboundeth grace aboundeth more amen we have a god that wants to set the captives free and so i do encourage you to bring those things before the lord but know this as you get your eyes on him jesus christ became a curse for us so we would be no longer under a curse the lord is one that wants to heal and bring redemption and bring forth a new day in our lives and our families and so forth and i want to give him the glory and praise for all of that so again we know the background now of these sons of korah and notice verse one he says when we have heard or we have heard with our ears O god our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days and days of old so again the first core told everyone about himself these are my deeds i should be heading up this show and so forth come and follow me and some of his sons said no we're not going to do that and when they had their children they said we're going to talk about us we're going to talk about the lord and we're going to talk about god in our household and we want to train you up so you do the same with your kids and then you do that they do that with their kids and so forth and so on and we need to know in our lives, we have the call first and foremost to tell our children about the greatness of God. That is upon us. We can't say, well, that's the role of the church. The church is a supplement of that. But if you're a parent this morning, if you're a grandparent this morning, you don't check out on this and say, well, that's not on me. We have a call to raise them in the way of the Lord God Almighty. And we're going to give an account for it. That's a, that's a weighty account. To give an account of how you raised your child did you raise them in the Lord? Was that the main thing in your home or was it just another thing? Notice Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8. I, I love the picture here. There's incredible instruction here on how to raise our kids in the Lord. It says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by your way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and these shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So this is something in everything you do. The Lord wants us to teach our kids about the Lord. He doesn't want to be a thing where, you know, we do this activity and that activity. And we drop them off at school. And we pick them up at school. And then we, you know what, we go and we, we you know, we go down and play putt-putt golf and this. And, oh, yeah, then we got God over here. And we did our God thing. No, this is a matter of when we get up, we want to talk about the Lord. And throughout the day, we want to talk about the Lord. 
and established. We're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this home. And there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Not only positionally because we're right with God by grace through faith in the Lord, but practically. Do you realize we're living in a world that wants to condemn the Christian? That wants to condemn your kids? Do you realize that probably every single day in one way or another, this world is trying to heap condemnation on your kids and come against what you're trying to teach them in the home? You're teaching marriages between a man and a woman. The world says, oh, we're going to condemn you for that. Our religion doesn't teach, that, teach, teach us that. Love loves everything. That's not love at all. If we love God, we honor his commandments. So listen, we better be fighting for our kids, amen? We better be raising them in the Lord. We better heed this this morning. And if you haven't been, it is time to turn the corner on this. In the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath. And I know some people read this and they say, yeah, dad, you know what? Don't make your son have a temper tantrum. And that might be a minor part of this, but this is do not provoke your children to hell. Notice, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Raise them up in the Lord, that they'll honor the Lord, they'll serve the Lord. When they are at that age of accountability, they've already put faith in the living God, our children's soul hangs in the balance that's a weighty weighty thing and again the church is a supplement hopefully collectively we're raising kids collectively here in the lord but first and foremost that lies at our doorstep and think about we hear that you know at scripture at times where jesus said if you cause one of these little ones to stumble it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and we think of the pedophile or whoever's out there what about the parent that's not raising their kid in the way of the lord what about the parent that, you know, well, you know, once a month or, you know, on, on Christmas and Easter, we're going to kind of bring you into church and so forth. Other than that, you know, we're good people, but we never talk about God. We never talk about Christ. We never open the scriptures. We never talk about this fallen world that we're living in and train them up and what is, you know, what biblical living and so forth. I don't want a meal so tied around my neck. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now listen, that's not a promise, but it's a principle. It's a principle that we should all be living by. Our kids, listen, it's tough enough out there in the world, is it not? If we're not raising them up in the way of the Lord, we want when they're old, you know, and old is subject to interpretation, you know, some would say, well, they're old when they're 18, you know, in our culture, 18, you're an adult. When they're old, they won't depart from the way of the Lord. They'll walk in the way of the Lord. We need to raise them up in the way of God Almighty, ministering to them and so forth. One last note with this. Don't fall into that trap of saying, well, you know, that's good, Steve, but we got it all figured out over here. We're the model parents. Pride goes before the fall. Oh, our kids just sit there orderly with their hands on their laps and so forth. Well, what's going on in their hearts? Boy, look at that kid over there with all that energy. Listen, someone has to have some energy in the world to get some, some, some stuff done, right? We're all wired a little different, made a little different, and so forth. My kids are all wired differently, and now as they're getting older, I'm seeing how all that wiring is being manifest in different ways to honor God and to be about different things and so forth. We need to call out for grace and mercy. Boy, if you want to raise your kids in the way of the Lord, you know what starts? On your knees before God Almighty saying, God, grant us grace and mercy. And grandma and grandpa, you better be right there by them. On your knees crying out for great grace and great mercy. Now notice this. They said, we've heard, our fathers have told us of the great things of old. But really the psalm, what it revolves around is, we've heard, but what it revolves is, we want to see it for ourselves. We heard about it. We heard what the Lord did, you know, in a day's past in Israel. We've heard about what God's done in your life and generation. We've heard about the Jesus hippie movement. That's come and gone. What about today? Do we have a longing today? We want to see God move today. We want to pray for that in our hearts and our children's hearts. I, we, we don't want them just to learn dead orthodoxy or, you know, church is about going in and hanging out. And I got my coffee and we're hanging out and so forth. And listen, that could be all fine and good, pancakes and sausage and whatnot. But what about a move of God Almighty? What about our young people, you know what, having a longing to see their friends come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved from that wrath of hell? 
boy, we better get on our knees. We better be praying. Nothing's going to happen unless we cry out to God, unless we look to Him, unless we cry out to Him. That's why it's so important. As a church, we're a praying people in our prayer closets and collectively in our homes and so on and so forth. Listen, do you have a hunger this morning just to hear about what God has done or to see God work today? If it's just, well, I'm, I'm content just here. Let's have another good Bible study here and open it up. And I hope you come here and get a good Bible study. But if that's just where it is, oh boy, you know, Steve taught the word today and we learned so much. Well, that's all fine and good. But what are we going to do about it? We need a fresh hunger to say, Lord, we want to see you move today. And not for the sake to say, oh boy, there's a revival going on. Oh, refuge, boy, there are cut above everyone else. No, so that God would be glorified and souls would be saved and a generation of prophets and soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ could be raised up for his glory, for his praise. Now notice two and three. They say, you drove out the nations with your hand, but you planted them, or you planted Israel. The nations were drove out by your hand, but by your hand Israel was planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. The psalmist here is referring to when the children of Israel were brought into the land of Canaan. God had delivered them out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. And then by the hand of Joshua, they went there to the land of Canaan. Remember, way back in Genesis, God told them they were going to inherit that land. He said, though, you're not going to inherit it until the sins of the Amorites are complete. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 15. He says, when they've ran their course, then I'm going to give you that land. In other words, I'm going to bring you in to judge them as well as to establish you in the land. What's interesting in Genesis, and it was about 400 years earlier, he said their iniquity is not yet complete. And what that implies in the Hebrew was they still had some shame of their sin. They were in a place where, you know, we saw them and Gomorrah around the same time. They, they had no shame of their sin. I mean, those angels came out and men from every quarter, every part of the city came out to try to know them carnally. And God brought his, there was no shame. They, they paraded that stuff. That was just the norm. Amongst the Amorites, the Canaanites, they still had some shame here. Uh, full-on sexual immorality wasn't practiced in the streets yet. They, you know, there, there were some that sacrificed their babies to Moloch, but there were other people that still frowned on it. Not everyone was a demon worshiper. And yes, there were some Canaanites and Amorites and others you see in scripture, they came to faith in the Lord. There was a lot of witnesses given to them. But they, they, they still had some shame in their sin. But when God brought them into the land and drove out the nations by his hand, they had come to this place where they gloried in their shame. In fact, their glory was their shame. They said, we are a glorious people because we embrace sin. We embrace, they didn't call us sin. We embrace this free love. We embrace, you know what? Uh, abortion we embrace homosexuality we embrace demon worship we embrace all this stuff we embrace the lie in the garden we are god they just embraced it all and they weren't ashamed of the fact if you came along and said wait a minute that's wrong that's not god's plan god has a better plan for you they would boo and hiss you and try to bring a condemnation on you and throughout history throughout scripture whenever a nation comes to this place where they're no longer ashamed of their sin instead their glory is their shame you know what comes next you turn the page, what comes next, time and time again, the judgment of God. We got to pray for our nation, amen? Because we're getting to this place where there's a whole lot of people, they're no longer ashamed of this stuff. Where this stuff's even, again, creeping into the church, provision made for it. Heard a thing the other day, Rick Warren, a few years back, you know, they asked him about gay marriage. He said, well, I really don't know if it's sinful or not. Really not sure. You're not sure? Have you read the Bible? I can't question if you have from other things. You're not sure about that? What, are we changing the standard of Scripture? That's not loving anybody. You know, affirming someone in sin that brings death, that's not loving anyone whatsoever. We need to be praying for our nation. And when they came into that land, initially, remember, Moses sent out spies and they came back and they said, we can't overtake them. There's giants. They have chariots of iron. We got sticks and we're like grasshoppers before them. But 40 years later, they went into that land. And though there were giants, sons of Anak and 
others Nephilim and so forth. And, you know, physically they stood no chance whatsoever. But as they moved in faith, God's hand brought the victory. The Lord says, hey, just march around this place seven times and the walls will fall in on them. You know what? The hand of God moved that. Some people say, well, you know, they blew their trumpets just loud enough and the vibrations made it all fall. No, it was a miracle. God intervened in time and space. He said, the walls are coming down. They're walking by faith. They're walking in obedience. They're just simply doing what I told them to do. And I'm going to bring the walls down upon those in Jericho who are in rebellion. Everyone except for Rahab the harlot who had a fear of God. And she said, I want to be safe out of this place. I've heard the stories. I got a fear of God. And praise God, the Lord delivered her because there's no partiality with them. So he delivered them by his hand. And then absolutely, he established them in Israel by his hand. And make no mistake, God has reestablished Israel today by his hand. That land belongs to Israel there in the Middle East. And anyone who comes along and says it doesn't, they are kicking against God Almighty. That's been deeded to them. In fact, far bigger than what they have today. Those borders are going to increase. And he's brought them back into the land, not just to sit there and continue in, the, in their unbelief, which most, most Jews do not believe in Christ, but to bring them through the tribulation, Jacob's trial, or Jacob, Jacob's trouble to a place of salvation. Now listen, an application for us, you got any giants in your life? When you came to Christ, there was the giant of the law and sin that damned us, and you came to Christ, and it was slew, it was nailed to the cross, and you came under the grace of God Almighty. What about from there? any giants maybe the giant of pornography and lust maybe the giant of gossip maybe the giant of drunkenness or idolatry or bitterness or worry or unforgiveness or whatever it is we all got a sin that easily ensnares us and boy that guy walks around like a giant at times does he not you're not going to get delivered by your hand you can get delivered on your knees drawing near to the lord and asking god's hand to go before you Get in the word of God so God can get his hands in your mind and renew it through the scriptures and so forth. But don't underestimate the hand of God. And if you're putting the emphasis on your hand, it is time to de-emphasize that and put the emphasis on God Almighty. Now notice verse 4 and 5. He says, you are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob or command victories for Israel. And indeed he has and he will. Again, he commanded that victory through Israel. Messiah came, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we know that he's gathered Israel together. We just talked about in the last days. He's commanding a victory and all Israel will come to a place of salvation. Then he says in verse 5, through you we push down our enemies. Through your name we will trample those who rise up against us. So through your name we have victory. Through your hand we have victory. And it's the same for us as Christians. Listen, do you know this morning in the name of Jesus we have victory over our, our enemies? And your enemy is not your neighbor. Your enemy is not the neighbor that doesn't like you because you have that 103.9 FM bumper sticker with, with a cross on it. I see a lot of those around town. Hopefully people are being blessed by that radio station. That's, that's not your enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual war. Our real enemies are sin, death, Satan, and hell. I, that, they, they have a lot more weight than, than your neighbor that doesn't like you for whatever reason or the person that's been out of shape because you're a follower of Jesus. Sin, death, hell, and Satan. We have victory over those things that were damning our soul through what? Through us? No. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome this morning to know? Victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, he says, I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. And you see this reiteration. Your hands delivered us. Your hands brought victory. And this is not only in praising God, but this is him preaching to his heart. Again, the preacher you're going to hear more than anyone in your life is yourself. And are you telling yourself, trust in God or get out here, scheme and manipulate and make things happen with your hands? Or is it, I'm going to trust God again in the word of God and pray to God and ask God to lead me and direct me and guide me. And he's preaching to himself here, don't trust in your bow. Don't trust in your hand. Trust in God Almighty. Put your hope in Him. Walk by faith, not by sight. 
there this last Wednesday night, we were in Leviticus 25, and we just saw this awesome chapter there that in Israel's covenant with God, that old covenant, and praise God for the new covenant, that we're in the better covenant, but in the old one, every seventh year, they were to let the land rest, rest and basically not work. And then every 50th year, which would be after a seventh year, it was the year of Jubilee, and again, all their debt was to be canceled, and it was another year of just rest. That sounds glorious. The Lord says, I command you to take a year off. And he said, in all of it, I'm going to provide for you. You don't need to plow. You don't need to sow. I'll provide for you. In fact, I'm going to give you a bumper year before and a bumper year after, and I'll even bring forth growth during it. I'm going to provide for you. Well, I think they'd be on the, there. Like, oh, man, year seven is coming up. What are you going to do? In fact, after church, talked to some different brothers, and we're like, you know what? What, what, what do you think they, they did or what would they have done during that time? You know, a whole year off. What are we going to do? Sadly, we know what they did. You know what they did? They plowed the field. They sowed the seed. God, the God, the hand of God that had delivered them and that established them, that drove out the Canaanites. And he said, now let me bless you with the seventh year rest. All I had to do was Nothing. <laughs> Let's, try, let's, let's take a year off. You know, fix up the barn. Didn't say they couldn't do that. Do these other maintenance projects. But for the most part, we're just going to rest and trust the Lord. But see, that took a big step of faith because there's something called weather. In fact, the pagans worship Baal, different bells, bell of the, the rain, bell of the sun, the wind, and so forth. And so they had to trust in God's provision. The farmer and them would say, though, but wait a minute, what if we don't get the rain? What if we don't get the sun? And what did they do? They trusted in their own hands instead of trusting in God Almighty. You know what happened? They missed the blessing of that Sabbath. They missed the, re- the blessing of that full year of Jubilee. And instead, eventually what happened is they went into captivity. Because for 490 years, they didn't let the land rest. The Lord said, for 70 years, you go into captivity where that land sits there dormant and at rest. You're not going to rob me. You're not going to cheat me. When we trust in the Lord, not our own hands, boy, there's blessing found in it. Verse 7, he says, But you have saved us from our enemies and put them to shame who hated us. And it isn't awesome that Jesus Christ has not only bore our sin, hear this this morning, he's also bore our shame. Boy, shame's sinful, isn't it? If you're a follower of the Lord, again, the world's unashamed of their sin nowadays. They parade around literally. Boy, they put it on display. They'll even condemn you if you come against it. How dare you? You know, we're the righteous one in our rebellion against all God's ordinances. And you got that, and then maybe the sin you're struggling with, the shame of it, and you're like, man, I wish it wasn't this sin. Boy, this, this one's an ugly one. He bore our sin. He also bore our shame. Jesus bore your shame on the cross of Calvary. Isn't that glorious? Hebrews talks about having a washed conscience to the shed blood of the Lamb. Not a hardened heart to say, well, I don't need to be ashamed of the sin. But a clear conscience to know, yeah, I'm a sinner, but the Lord's forgiven me and He's working in my life and I'm going to bring this before Him. And every day He calls me to come before Him. He's never going to get tired. Listen, there's sometimes you've got to work 5, 10, 15, 20 years to overcome certain things. Don't listen to that lie of the enemy saying, oh boy, you're just in shame now. God, I don't even want to see you anymore. This kind of stuff going on in your life. What's wrong with you? He bore our sin. He bore our shame. Keep bringing it to the Lord. Amen. A righteous man falls seven times, but he rises again. And then he says, in God, we boast all day long and we praise your name forever. And this has been instilled in him from his father and from his father's father and his father's father all the way back to his father that praised himself. And they said, we're not down with this. We're going to praise. We're not going to boast in us. We're going to boast in the Lord. We're going to boast in Christ and have been inherited. We're going to boast in God. Notice, again, all day long, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. All day long, they talked about God. All day long, they boasted in God. They got those pancakes and, you know, they thanked the Lord for the hands that made them, but they thanked the Lord for the food and for the hands that made them. We're going to boast in God. Oh, this is some good syrup. Who's the chef that made this? You know, well, thank God for that. But God's the one that provided that tree that brought forth this syrup and brought forth the recipe. We're going to boast in God. 
Too much boasting in men nowadays. We're going to boast in the Lord. He says, we do it all day long, and guess what? We're going to do it forever. Is Jesus your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Whether you like it or not, you're going to boast in the Lord forever and ever and ever. And when you get that side of glory, you're not only going to like it, it's going to be the only thing you want to do, you're going to have perfect contentment in it. Paul said in Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now quickly here, we're not going to go verse by verse through it. We're going to read it and talk about it. 9 through 16. The psalmist starts with worshiping God, and now he brings his burden before the Lord. We want to follow that pattern as well. We don't want to flip-flop that. I know it's really, really easy when we're in the midst of difficulty to want to burst into the Holy of Holies to the shed blood of the Lamb and say, Oh God, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's happening? The sky's falling. And he's like, easy chicken little. We want to start with worshiping always. And boy, there's a temptation in the midst of trial to flip-flop that, isn't there? But Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 8. He says, don't be like them. Talking about the Gentiles, the vain repetition, which actually goes into even that contemplative, meditative, demonic prayer. He says, for your father knows what you have need of before you even ask. We're going to read about this trial, go through this real quick. But God knew about all this before the psalmist even mentioned it. God knows about the trials in your life right now. He knows, he knows things you need that you don't even know you need it. Your father knows that you have need of before you ask. So he says, in this manner, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the Lord's not giving us a vain repetition. The Lord's prayer, let's vainly repeat it. Before he says, don't pray like the Gentiles. It's a model. Start with, God, I howl, you're holy, you're awesome, you're above all this, you're almighty God. Now, son of my little burden looks very small, and I see God for who he is, very, very, very large and very big. We've been instructed to start with praise and worship, not with complaint. Secondly, he's worthy of all that worship, even on the worst day of our life. I love Habakkuk chapter 3. There's all this turmoil in Israel, and the writer says, even when no fruit's on the vine, we will worship God. And then when we worship Him, we get proper perspective. In Acts 4, the church is being persecuted. It's starting to get heavy, and what do they do? They knew God knew the need, so the first thing they do in their prayer, they say, you're the maker of heaven and earth. And then they quote Psalm 2, the nations plot vain things, but you're God Almighty. These ants are telling us not to preach the gospel, but God Almighty is on the throne and he's told us to do it, so we're going to worship you. You know what we have need of. Boy, how many times do we make ants into giants? And we begin to worship God, all of a sudden that giant looks like what it is. Well, that's just an ant over there. I serve God Almighty, the God of heaven the God of earth, the God who made all this stuff and holds it together. That's the God who you serve. Isn't that an awesome God? It gets our perspective right. You just come in with your burden and you're whining and complaining and the burdens just seem bigger and bigger and bigger. Wait a minute, God already knows this. Let's worship God and see him how he is. He made heaven and earth. I I think he can handle this over here. A little hiccup. He's not up in heaven going, oh, what are we going to do, Father? nothing's going to rattle the cage of your god so let's not go singing the blues but praising the name of god we'll see we can bring our burdens before him and we need to and we can be honest with that bring our feelings but when we worship god and we begin to worship god especially in the midst of trials listen it stings the enemy and it moves the hand of god psalm 22 3 but you are holy and thrown in the praises of israel Not in our complaints, but in our praises. Can you imagine if he enthroned the, you know, the enthroned our, our inhabited our complaints? It'd be a revival everywhere, right? Have you complained today? Oh yeah, I have. Well, praise God, brother. Keep complaining, you know. But he inhabits our praises, and we're like, God, we, I need you to move, and so let me come and just complain. Versus, I'm going to praise God. But again, we can then bring our burden before him. Verse 9 through 16. But you have cast us off and put us to shame, and you do not go out with our armies. You made us turn back from the enemy, 
And those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. You have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people for next to nothing and are not enriched by selling them. You make us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to those all around us. You make us a byword among the nations, a shaking of the head among the peoples. My dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of my face has covered me because the voice of him who reproaches and reviles because of the enemy and the avenger. And listen, if you just put that, took that out of context, you'd be like, man, this guy's going to get struck with some lightning here. But what this is is not him villainizing God or griping against God. He came praising God. You're God Almighty. And now it's him laying his burden before God honestly. This is a horrible situation. And no matter what the reason, we want to cast our cares upon God Almighty. Now why was this going on? It could have been because of sin in the camp and disobedience in the camp. There were absolutely times of disobedience but God bring them into trials of correction and trials of chastisement. In Leviticus 26, he commands blessings and curses based on obedience and disobedience. Most believe this was written during the time when David was fleeing from Absalom. And he had to flee the city because Absalom, his son, had brought forth a rebellion. And they're out in this place. It, it, It fits the description. It fits the historical record. But all that started with sin. I've been reading through that this last week in my devotion. And it's amazing, you go to 2 Samuel 11 and you read almost really through the end of the book and just, it's like the second half of David's life was just marked with turmoil and trial and opposition and heartache. Where it comes down to a civil war and 20,000 Israelites are killed in the day. And David's son's hair is caught in the thicket and Joab comes and stabs him and kills him. And earlier, all the immorality in David's kids' lives and so forth. I mean, just because it's, it's tough to read. It's not fun to read at all. And you look at this, all this unfolding and all of it coming forth. And this probably was written during that time. It wasn't the sins of the sons of Korah or for the people for that matter. It went back to the sin of David. And you go back there to 2 Samuel 2, you know what started all of this? It wasn't when he looked down and saw Bathsheba and inquired of her and lusted after her and had that adulterous affair. You know when it really started? It was a time of the spring when the kings went out to battle and David sat at home. It started because he said, I'm not going to be about the business of the Lord this spring. I'm about my own business. Let's be about his business. Are you about the business of the Lord? I'll get to that later on. You need to be about that right now. I'm going to start devotions in a couple months when this settles down and that settles down. You need to start that right now. Oh, we're going to start getting our kids in church, you know, when this happens and after that season and this and so forth. And then finally, in the next thing you know, they're 18 years old. I've seen it. I've been around here a long time. I'm older than I look. Thank you, Lord. But listen, (laughs) I've seen it unfold. Well, we're going to get around to it at some point and they never, ever do because instead of being about the business of the lord they're about other stuff and if you're not going to be about his business you're going to lust after something else something else is going to fill that void whether it's at Bathsheba or whatever it is we got to learn from that god brought them through a trial to bring a correction now there were other times listen when israel was walking in obedience but it just felt like this it felt like what was being said there Think about Moses with that first encounter with Pharaoh. Let my people go. And he says, I don't know your God. I'm not going to let you go. Go back to work. And Moses, well, I got a neat snake trick here. And he's like, I can do that too. Get out of here. I added the psh, but it's implied there, you know. And then Moses was like, oh, what have you done, God? And the people are like, Moses, you're making us work harder. And God already said he's not going to listen to you. It's going to take some time. And sometimes we just feel like God's not there when absolutely, and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. It's not a trial of correction, but perfection. Those trials are promised, right? We've talked about them many times. They're promised to shape us and to mold us and to make us, but you know what else they do? They also test our faith. 
and show us where we're really at. Talk's cheap. Fire reveals truth. Where we really are with the Lord. People say, oh, I'm so humble. I'm your humble servant. I'm so humble. We'll see how humble you are when your door gets dinged in the parking lot of Vons, right? When someone dare, you know, it does something you don't want or doesn't do it the way you want them to do it. All of a sudden, your inner gangster comes out, you know? Trials reveal those things. Let's, let's step back and say, what, what are you revealing to me, Lord? Let's learn. Yeah, it's a trial, it's a fire. Then, Lord, burn it out. Let's get it out of here. Let's get it pruned. Too many times in those times, I think we look at the other people. What about me? What needs corrected in my life? We got to remember that. So many times our feelings are like, oh, God, where are you? God's right there in the midst of all of it. Now notice 17 and 18, he says, all this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten your name, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. So stuff has unfolded, and listen, stuff will unfold, and they say, no matter what, we're going to still putting our hope in you. Their fathers had raised them well. Hang on to the Lord, and the Lord's got you in his hands. And then they say, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart is not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. They said, even in the midst of trial, we've continued to walk uprightly. Trials cannot be seen as an excuse for sin. And so many times we fall into that trap. Hey, it's a hard time, so listen. Medicate that a bit, old boy. Go hit the bottle or some porn or a gossip session or a blasphemy season. I'm angry at God and I'm justified in it. No, you're not. Neither am I. I can walk in pride or self-pity or bitterness or unforgiveness because what was done to me? Enemy will always bring that. Boy, he brought it to Joseph. Boy, you were sold in slavery. You're here serving this Potiphar's house. Your father's way more mighty than this guy and you're here. And here comes Potiphar's wife. Come lay with me. And we know from historical records, listen, she wasn't bad looking. We'll just put it at that. And Joseph's flesh wanted to. His flesh wanted to lie with her. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to ran out of the house. Wouldn't have been an issue. Crack's not a temptation if you're not a crackhead. But if you're a young man, handsome in form, appearance, bursting forth with hormones who've, who've been done wrong and dirty, and you got one of the most beautiful women in Egypt coming every day saying, lie with me, I'll put everyone out of the house. Boy, easy to make an excuse. You know what? I deserve it. I love the Lord, but I deserve it. I need to medicate some of this pain. Sin will not make matters better. Hear this. You want Jesus in that fire with you. You want to draw near to the Lord. You want everyone to look in and they say, Isn't there, I thought there was one in that fire, but I see two, and the second's the son of the living God. We read this verse oftentimes, Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to this purpose. And a lot of times people think that is some universal Christian application. We're called according to his purpose. And if you called on the name of the Lord, you are called. And if you're called, you call on the name of the Lord. But loving God is keeping his commandments. First John chapter 5. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments, not... Well, I love them, and I feel that I love them, but I'm going to go over here and have a season of debauchery to medicate my time of trial, and I deserve it. Boy, that's a lie from the wicked one. You're going to go through that trial over and over, and next time, hear this. I know from experience, and you can take that or leave it, but I know biblically as well, it's going to hurt worse next time. The fire's going to be turned up more if you're a true believer. If you're not, you'll continue, and, and it won't even come. But it's going to get hotter and hotter. And you want to say, I want to draw near to the Lord. This ain't an excuse for sin. This is reason to get on our face. He says, we haven't departed from your way. Again, there's a way that seems right to a man that ends in death. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And again, a lot of times you say, well, I'm going to depart my way. Death comes from it. Quickly here, 19 through 21. But you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. And this is the psalmist is saying, we're being real with God here. We can't hide anything from the Lord. 
God would know. So here we are, Lord, open before you. And we're in this place under a shadow of death. But listen, when you get in the light of Christ, all shadows cease. Because <laughs> it's an all-consuming light. Verse 22, he says, Yet for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Does that verse sound familiar? You might not be familiar with the psalm. Hopefully you're familiar with Romans chapter 8. Paul quotes this verse. Listen, there were Old Testament saints that died for their faith. There were New Testament saints and have been many New Testament saints martyred for their faith in the Lord. And hear this. We're all going to die for something. If the Lord tarries and you die, most likely you'll have a memorial service and everyone's going to talk about your life. What are they going to say about you? They can say they served, they did all this stuff, but their their thing was they served the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that going to be the mark of you or is it going to be something else? Boy, isn't it a good thing to die for the Lord, die serving the Lord? Paul got, brought this great encouragement in Romans 8 35. He says, What shall separate us from the Love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword. And then he says, as it's written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's not hiding it. He says, you follow Jesus, you might be martyred. There's people being martyred for their faith all over this globe today. Verse 37, yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not awesome to know? You can't take anything from me. This world, we're going to take this from me and that from me. You can't take anything from me because nothing that you can do can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remember Paul said, I count all this as rubbish and that's all it is. Paul also said, I die daily. For your sake, we're killed all day long. We think of, oh yeah, you know, I might be martyred, but are you dying all day (laughs) to the flesh? Remember when I was in that period of backsliddenness from, you know, many years of my life. And as I got a little older, my early 20s, I saw the stuff unfolding in the Middle East. And I, I knew prophecy. I saw the stuff unfolding. I started getting a little bit nervous. My eschatology was kind of all over the place. I mean, the Lord's going to come when he's going to come. My thought was, well, you know what? He's, he's not going to come till the middle, the end of the tribulation, which he may, but we're to look every single day. And I said, well, when the tribulation comes, then I'll represent the Lord, and I, I won't be ashamed. I'll die for the Lord if, that, if it comes down to that during the tribulation. And my heart was so callous, but I was still able to hear the voice of the Lord. And you know what he said? He said, if you can't die for me today, you won't be able to die for me then. We're killed all day long. Again, it's that picture. I'm not going to trust in my hands. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And then finally... The last part of this, he cries out. We're almost done. He says, Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our body clings to the ground. Arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sake. He's worshiped God. He's cast his care upon God. He's affirmed his commitment to God. And now he cries out to God, Arise and move. And guess what he has? He rose from the grave three days later. And he's coming soon. And he's going to raise those dead in Christ. He's going to raise them from the grave and their bodies are going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And he talks about redemption. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, let's know the victory we have in him. You know, we think, you've heard that verse, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise a standard. Raise that standard. Listen, the standard's already been raised. You know that? Jesus shed his blood. He is the standard. Draw near to the standard. Oh, bring in, you know what? Raise up the standard. It's already been raised. He's crying out, raise it. He has raised it. He's risen from the grave. Let's stand up and close in worship of the Lord. Well, Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We just thank you for your goodness, your grace, your word. 
so much in this psalm God to glean from I would pray God that we would continue to consider it that we will not dismiss it God if there's areas that you stirred our heart concerning that we would respond God draw near to you cry out for your aid and your help and if you haven't called on his name today's the day of salvation it's time to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life that means you're turning from whatever your Lord is and you're saying Jesus I want you to be my God I believe in your death and resurrection and salvation meet me where I'm at and he will we thank you Lord we praise you we want to worship you as we close Lord we know these psalms were sung and Lord we want to close in singing to you to worshiping you I pray we can do that well and you be glorified as we know you do inhabit the praises of your people let's worship our God
got food out there. Altars open up here. Encourage you uh, in the Lord Jesus. Bless someone today, and I pray God will bless you.